Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Environmental Social Justice. Today, we have our technical advisor back on, Mr. Max Baer. He is from the south of France as well as Belgium, so you are an international god of travel. And today, we talk about rail. So, Max, take it away. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, thanks, of Wendy. Um, so, uh, so yeah, uh, I guess thanks for thanks for inviting me on to. Uh, uh, to, to talk about uh, rail uh, here in Europe, uh, and I guess the uh, the main the main thing that when you look up rail that everyone wants to talk about, at least at the very surface level, at the press level, is uh, you know the marvel that is high speed rail, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and so when you look into it, there's actually I'd say a lot to read about in in terms of high speed rail, um, okay. and. Uh, and um, I, I guess I guess the, the the few most interesting things are that there is uh, uh, that uh, that it's actually the it's actually the result in a, in a, in a huge way it's a result of uh, of uh, what the European Union's doing uh, in in the sense of uh, you know they they've got uh, they've got uh, rail directives and they've got uh, uh, they've got tying together the EU countries. By rail, uh, and not just the countries, but also the major cities in the EU, right? And yeah. they've, they've got this as a stated objective, tying these tying these together. Um, that being said, you know, because rail is a technology that predates the EU by a lot, um, there's uh, there's uh, there's a lot of work to do in terms of harmonization of uh, infrastructural standards. Yes. Um, so oh, like, that's, that's very important, actually. <laughs> yeah. And it's and it's a challenge, right? Because uh, because basically we've got, you know, billions of billions of dollars worth of investment, um, you know, in the in the different in the different particularly the major countries who are maybe on standard X or standard Y. Um, Meaning the rail width, just so people understand, like the size of the rail, how, you know, the different types mm -hmm. of tracks. Well, There's yeah, it's the rail gauge for sure, but also the. Uh, also the rail uh, also the electrical system right the, the rail right voltage. right 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 yeah so um, every country might be a little bit different we're trying to get everybody coordinated on the same page yeah it's, it's not easy um <laughs> no. and, and in particular in particular here in france actually there are there's uh, there are basically there are basically two uh two voltage standards right there's there's an ac and a dc system mm -hmm. and What's complicated is that different different neighboring countries use these different systems. So, like the French, basically, there's there's a huge part of the country, including the part where where, where I'm in, like the eastern part of the country, where they where they have to operate both systems uh, in in parallel. You know, I was talking to a um, a man last year. His name is Robert Catalan, and he works in the Halbach Array Magnetics. And when he and I spoke, he said, you know, I can push anything down a rail as long as, you know, we have the technology, you know, he has the technology, we can just push it down. Is there any discussion about magnetics? Because I know in Japan, I believe they use magnetics. Uh, well, not, I, I, I'm not, I'm not familiar with any discussion uh, about. I mean, I'm so. not either. I'm just wondering yeah. if you came across something I didn't, because I think people are sticking to electric. That, that's, that, that's, uh, that's as far as I know as well. Yeah. Um, because basically... The, the Europeans are right now not not too much. They're not too concerned about getting uh, about getting the highest possible performance out of their high speed rail, which is what Japan is worried about. 
they're they're really worried about more about getting everybody on the same page all the way across the union um and in particular one of the main obstacles towards uh, connecting the continent uh with high-speed rail is uh, is actually one that people never think about and it's and it's the geography right like in particular <laughs> the alps um yes. <laughs> putting tunnels through the alps is expensive and nobody wants to pay for it even even uh you know even here where i am in the, in the french riviera region there is no high-speed rail in the french riviera and it's the french riviera i mean monaco's here like it's not that there's no money here right exactly. um, <laughs> they have the money but it's also yeah. i mean going through the mountain but also up and over that's a challenge as well uh well i guess but it, i mean I, I i mean i'm not an expert in this but i mean it seems it seems it, it seems that it might be easier to just to, to just drill through if you're going to be moving it. at high speed if you're going to be moving the train at high speeds right you want to keep Very it as flat and stable as possible now the thing the thing that we've got here in this region is that you know french high speed rail um going north south goes all the way up to the it goes all the way up as far as brussels so it goes into belgium um and it goes south as far as marseille right and then from marseille to milan there's no high speed rail you have to you have to move by sl by slow rail and then when you get to milan it's basically the central station of the italian peninsula um oh. and uh, you pull in and there's a huge there's you know a a quite large and extensive high-speed rail network on the Italian side, and it begins in Milan. So this basically five-hour, or I, I guess we could say maybe four or five hundred kilometer corridor where there's just slow train, uh, great for tourism because it moves along the cliffs over the ocean. You know, Very pretty. It's, it's extremely pretty, but it doesn't move fast, and so it's not that great for, and uh, not that great for transitors. Exactly. Now, yeah. Go ahead. There is a thing I wanted to say uh, that uh, you know I, I looked up. Uh, uh, I, I looked up. Um, you know, there, there's an interesting working paper out there com coming from the Community of European Railways, uh, oh. and uh, so it's yeah, cer.be. So Community of European Railways and uh, Infrastructure Companies officially, right? They've got a 90-page working paper. All about the economic footprint of rail, um, and since I'm an economist, that's my thing. Um, okay. And uh, what I can what I can say is that you know they basically split they basically split the rail um, they, they split the rail impact into like four different areas, right? Uh, so so we've got uh, we've got leisure, business uh, business uh, business travelers and freight, uh, commuters, and urban development, right? Yep. And, and what they're and what they're what they're basically saying is that, you know, setting aside the leisure, the leisure, which, of course, is nice. You know, it's there's even there's even rail tourism. Uh, and in France, we oh. see that a lot, actually. Oh, yeah. People, they're trying to pick it up in the U.S. It, it's a slow progress. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it, for me, it's it's kind of a hard sell. There are places where I like to get on the train and see the landscape. But I've yeah. actually met Swedish tourists with large cameras who get on the train in Marseille or in Avignon or something and what they want to do is that they they'll just want to go to is that they, they actually flew down to Paris or they flew to they flew to Marseille or something and they got on the train just to take the photos and then they got a flight waiting when they get to the other end and they go they're, they're heading back to Stockholm I've seen that many oh times. wow um hmm. I think it's a stretch but 
it's, it's great for some people, I guess. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, some people love being on rail. I mean, for me personally, I love trains right. because of the ease of it. So um, if I have to travel from LA to San Diego, I used to drive. It's a treacherous drive. There's traffic. Oh, it's, it's, There's, it's yeah. yeah, that's stressful. And also the danger. Yeah. Yeah. And hopping on the train is easy. I mean, it's slower. Yeah. But I can sit back, relax, turn on my laptop, get stuff done. Yeah. And that one, getting work done part is important. Yeah. And um, I mean, we don't really have high speed rail. We're, we're kind of working on it here. And with respect to the EU and what you have, um, we are way behind. I mean, way behind. Uh, yeah, actually, I, I looked up some some statistics on that, actually. So I wanted to say that. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah, I'm an economist, right? And by the and, and by and, and, and so so yeah, I looked up some statistics on that, and so it turns out that actually, in terms of the uh, you know the the rail infrastructure, just the track, right? Um, actually, the two sides are comparable. EU 350 million kilometers, USA or North America, so US and Canada 370 million, so roughly roughly comparable. That being said, the usage of it, the American one is usually or North American was usually for freight. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, the Europeans are all over, are pretty much all over the rails and also the light rails, right? So metro, basically, metro yeah. track. Um, and to give you an idea, uh, apparently, according to according to Eurostat, uh, so you know, the European Europeans travel ten times as many kilometers by car than by train, right? Meanwhile, Americans apparently drive 400 times as many kilometers by car than by train. So it because gives of you, of course we do. <laughs> and, and that's with the same, and, and that's with the same amount of rail infrastructure being laid down, right? So the same amount of track. So, well, I know for, um, just because living in when I lived in New York and I would travel to Boston all the time, Amtrak created the Acela, which was their high speed rail. We were all very excited for it, but there were certain States that would not allow them to travel past 85 miles an hour 50 miles, whatever it was, it was not fast, right. which took up the majority of the trip between New York and Boston. I believe it was the state of Connecticut. So we'd travel really fast for about half an hour, then crawl, and then right. really fast through Massachusetts. And well, I mean, yeah, it I, killed the purpose. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can see that. I can see that it would. Um, uh, yeah, I, I want. I wonder if there's uh, infrastructural reasons for it, or just sort of like sort of. I think of it was a safety thing. They were worried about people crossing the tracks. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, no. Uh, uh, I know that. I know that in the French Riviera, it's uh, it, it has it's a lot to do with infrastructure. It's like you need specialized tunnels to be able to handle trains going at a certain speed through yeah. through through tunnels, basically. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I get that. It took the UK a long time to develop them as well. Um, One of the things um, that you mentioned previously about freight, if we had more freight on rail, we would definitely ease up the congestion we have on the streets, especially West Coasters. We don't really? have, a, yeah, we would. There's, I mean, whenever I drive out here in Los Angeles or anywhere in California, really, it's full of semis. I see. Just, yeah. Um, and so I'm a big advocate. You know, as you know, to, um, our next next interview I'm doing is with Progress Rail, and they are hugely working on renewable energies, new technologies, and they're trying to get people out of their, you know, get freight out of the street and onto a rail system. And I believe in Europe, you guys have that pretty much accomplished. 
I think a lot of what you do. Well, is the view the view in Europe is that uh, the uh, Americans are better at using uh, uh, rail for freight, uh, whereas the Europeans are better at using rail for passengers. Um, that's the view in Europe. Oh, wow. um, I learned something. <laughs> now uh, you know that that being said that being said like i was like i was going to talk about the the economic effects there's actually a specific reason for the for the uh, uh for the uh, rail for passengers thing the, you know in addition to the fact that the eu is actively trying to tie the countries together right yeah They're actively trying to get people to move to commute between the different countries on a regular basis as a, as a matter of policy um so besides that uh you know uh, we can say that the 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 view at the the view at the EU level is that the economic effects, the the economic knock-on effects are basically in terms of uh, in terms of uh, the in terms of commuters, uh, in terms of commuters and business passengers, right? Because what commuters do is that they, and this is and this is actually more like your your low-speed short-range rail, right? Okay. So, so think between Paris and the neighboring cities, right? The Paris and the Paris suburbs. Yeah, yeah. And so what that does is that when that when that moves efficiently, what it does is it manages to is it manages to make the uh, the this the viable metro area uh, have uh, be larger and have like uh, an expanded labor force, right? Yeah. So the thing is that the the labor market for the, the Paris labor market is actually much bigger than Paris itself. It's like Paris plus everywhere you can get within it within an hour by rail. And I guess by high speed rail, you can get to Lille in 45 minutes. And Lille is the border with Belgium. Um, Very now, nice. Uh, now, that being said, um, that's also true. That's also true for that's also true for high speed rail. And because, you know, Brussels is, let's say, an hour an hour and 10 from Paris, right? But also both of those cities are about an hour and a half from London. Um, and uh, and on the other side, uh, Brussels is about an hour and a half from Cologne, right? So, and okay. Cologne is, and basically uh, Cologne is in the, you know, it's in Germany's sort of industrial heartland. But then at the EU level, there's this industrial heartland or this economic heartland, which is called the blue banana, right? It's hilarious, but it's really called like that. So if you were to Wikipedia, you'll see what I mean. And so it's basically a banana-shaped region, which uh, connects, which goes from London down to the European continent. It's uh, uh, curves or curves across the Alps, right? So okay. basically, we're basically we're talking about the south of England, uh, the uh, the the east of France, the west of Germany, and the entire Benelux, right? So Belgium, Netherlands, Luxembourg, Switzerland as well. Uh, going okay. all the way down to Monaco, right? Um, and there's there's even historical re reasons that this uh, that this economic uh, that this economic uh, heartland exists, but it's basically it's basically the most relevant part of the EU's econ economic geography, right? Rivaled oh. by the rivaled by the golden banana, which kind of uh, which kind of takes the uh, the Mediterranean coast of of France and then northern Italy, right? So basically, these two areas are are like the uh, they're a bit like they're a bit comparable to the east and west coast of the United States as being like where all the commerce happens and where all the oh, gotcha, happens. gotcha, yeah. Um, and so 
And so uh, basically the, the thinking is that connecting these areas and making commuting possible and viable within these areas is basically going to have, you know, huge economic productivity and knock-on effects. And that leads, and that ranges from, uh, you know, what they call agglomeration effects, which basically means, you know, uh, people being in the same place and being able to cluster and do business with each other and bounce ideas off each other. So it goes from that to like supply chains to like work commuters. Um, so the economic effects are huge. Yeah, we need to, we need, I mean, now that I've learned from you that we have more freight, we have more efficiency in our freight than we do in our travel passenger. We need to fix that, especially here, because um, I know people that get a lot of anxiety when they have to travel by plane. Going through security is challenging. Uh, yeah, I can understand that. And there are a lot of people that travel for work. And if we had a better transportation system on rail, I think that would alleviate a lot of um, unnecessary stress and anxiety that people may have. Well, you know, I, I have to say, if, if you want to compare it to flying, I would say that uh, maybe the maybe the one of the one of the difficult things about flying that nobody takes into consideration is actually the time, effort, the time, effort and cost it takes to actually get to to and from the airports. Right. Yes. Because people, <laughs> people tend to forget that the airport is not in the, is generally not in the city center. OK, I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area. And that is a bit of an exception because the uh, the, the the local airport, which is today called Reagan National, um, uh, you know, although it, in my day it was called not just National, just right? yeah, Washington National. And then there's the one in Reston, Virginia. Yeah, there's that one they called Dulles. Dulles, yeah. Yes, named after a former CIA director. Um, I did not know that. No, I mean our airports. I mean, I just so ESJ took a little break because I was traveling and. The airport is a challenge. I mean, it's busy, it's chaotic, traffic is backed up forever. Right. And if we can, I mean, when I was traveling through Europe, because I had family that lived there for a while, easiest thing in the world. My sister lived yeah. in Switzerland. We'd jump the Tejeve, we'd go to Paris, easy peasy. Yeah. It was comfortable. And, you all, and, and, it, and, and the rail drops you, tends to put you in the city center. Like you step off the train. And you um, walk. Yeah, you and you walk. walk to where you're going. Like uh, some, some pretty extreme examples. I would say that uh, so Paris is actually a bit of a, a, a bit of a trouble spot because there's no through traffic, right? There's no through tunnels. So you can't commute through Paris, but you can commute to Paris pretty efficiently, right? I and learned so, the hard way about the north, south, east, and west trains because I was uh, yeah, in the yeah, wrong that, that's station. A nightmare. But, I was in the wrong place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, Brussels used to be that way for a time, but they actually dug a tunnel to connect them. That's but, smart. <laughs> but yeah, I have to say that I've definitely had meetings, you know, at Paris Montparnasse uh, or near the near Paris Montparnasse. And so basically it's a matter of stepping off the train, uh, you know, uh, and and going maybe one or two metro stops. Yeah, that's what I ended up doing in a mad rush sprint when I realized because what was I doing? I was going to... Um, I think the Netherlands or something, and it was a midnight train, overnight train, and you know I'm watching the Flipboard. We're going back in time, folks. This is a long time ago. I'm watching the Flipboard and no trains. It was like probably 20 minutes to boarding time, and no trains were listed. And I realized I was in the South Station, and I needed to be in the North Station. Oh dear. I've never moved so fast in my life. So um, connecting that would be awesome. I, you know, the Metro was very efficient. But well, um, see. 
Paris is going to have a, a problem with the, the infrastructure of that because the problem is that beneath Paris, there's already the Paris Metro, right? And then yeah. beneath that, there's a secondary metro called the RER, right? Oh. So in essence, to, to, dig a, to, to dig a series of tunnels, what they need to do would be to dig them beneath those of the RER, which are already, I think, 100 meters down, right? Like, oh, good Lord. Yeah. You're going to hit uh, so, magma at some point. <laughs> yeah, the, the cost of this. And, and none of that's underneath Paris, right? Like the, the cost of this, you know, is going to be huge. And that's also why. Also artifacts. Why. I'm, I'm, when I was traveling through Italy, I was traveling through Rome. And the big joke was they keep trying to build more subway stations in Rome, but they keep running into artifacts and archaeological right. sites and they have to stop. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, I've heard similar things said about Athens. Uh, and in fact, if you... Yeah. Take the Athens Metro. They have glass cases, uh, which sort of show the the artifacts that they dug up in the that's spot cool. where the metro station is. That's um, so cool. That's yeah. that's really neat. It does you know slow down the process. I get that, but that's I love seeing that personally. It is pretty um, fancy. So you know, in closing with rail and transport, and I know we didn't get too into heavy detail because again, this is for the general public to understand the need of rail. And I do appreciate all the economic research you did because that is vastly important. But um, if you just had a couple takeaways for what we could do better in the States, what you've seen, what would those uh, be? Right. Well, uh, first, uh, the first thing I, the first thing I'd say is that I think the easiest uh, quick win that we could get out of this would be uh, if we would upgrade the existing rail lines yeah. uh, to high speed rail, because the idea is like, you don't have to create new rail lines, so you're not going to have any sort of NIMBY problem. You just it's just a question of upgrading the infrastructure, right? Which is smart. <laughs> yeah, um, and then uh, and then I guess I guess the uh, I guess the other thing is like look at look into ways of uh, of connecting city of connecting city to city, which yeah. I understand that I understand that is going to be uh, is going to be really a challenge. Um, and then, and then, lastly, is going to be a connection between rail and light rail, right? So connection rail metro, yeah. Because um, you know, Mike's my, my my memory of being on the East Coast is that there's you know, there's a there's a few rail stations which have metro connections, but a lot of them don't. So yeah. like you get to some place like last time I last time I took uh, you know New Jersey rail, I stepped off the train in Trenton. And I'm in a parking lot and I'm like, okay, now what? Um, Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. And, I know. Like, I've been that situation. You know, Jersey been... Transit's not bad, though. I mean, I would always take it from Newark into the city. Right, and right. Um, it wasn't so bad. Boston got better. I used to live in Boston. I've lived everywhere, folks. So when I lived in Boston, if I wanted to go to, to Logan Airport, it used to be you'd take the train to the end of the line and then take a shuttle bus. And the shuttle bus would drop you off at the airport. So they finally connected all of that probably... I think 15 years ago. Yeah, there's a key takeaway uh, in uh, integrating, you know, integrating the transit systems is, is really is really key uh, in, in terms of getting a viable transit system off the ground. Yeah, uh, especially when some of these transit systems exist sort of geographically, like on top of each other and or near each other and they and they connect uh, poorly. It's it's really it's really a, a place where I think progress can be made quickly. Uh, that's my impression. And the infrastructure is already there. The infrastructure, right? you're absolutely right. There, I mean, I think it's silly when people say they need to build a new rail line. We have the infrastructure, just need to upgrade it. But you know what always comes into play, and I know I'm opening a can of worms saying this, is politics. 
everyone wants a piece of something or they want their say in it or they want their opinion we need to just kind of put that aside and focus on the greater good oh oh actually there there's a there's another interesting uh, eu uh, eu angle on this as well and uh, oh, since okay. you mentioned that because one thing one thing i one thing i saw looking into high speed rail is that there's actually sort of a constellation of competing of uh of of competing train manufacturers who are um uh, who are out there who are in the business of selling rail going through my papers right quick no way okay so they have yeah. a vested interest in new rail well uh, uh, well on one hand yes but on the other hand the thing is that a lot of these countries are national champions right so you've got uh, Alstom and Siemens, uh, which are which are you know very big in turn and very big and very able to influence their domestic country's politics, right? So Alstom being French and Siemens being German. Um, now, I guess the I guess the deal is that at the EU level there is a, a comp there is a competition. There's there's a bit of antitrust law, which is a major divergence from U.S. law, right? Uh, which is called uh, which is called state aid. Right. It's like uh, ba the banning of state aid. Right. Oh, OK. And so and so what that and so what that does. And just to be clear, we're talking about Article 107 of the uh, of the TFEU for the Treaty for the Functioning of the European Union. Um, okay. <laughs> and so what it and so what it does is it basically it, it basically prevents uh, a country from intervening at the European level on behalf of its own national champions. Right. Love it. So Love it. <laughs> it, it's it's great because what that means is that, you know, if if such a system didn't exist, if such laws didn't exist, then we could expect the, the entire train net, uh, the entire train market to consist of Alstom and Siemens. Right. So it's basically the guy subsidized by Germany versus the guy subsidized by France. Exactly. Meanwhile, uh, you know, in the real world, what we, we've also got um, not only not only uh, Talgo, which is a Spanish manufacturer, we've got uh, Ferroviari, which is an Italian manufacturer. Um, and we've got, uh, you know, non-EU players as well. We had Bombardier, which yep. got bought out by Alstom in uh, 2021, so last year. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Huh. Yeah, I just found out as well I was when I was looking this up. It was up. very quiet. <laughs> well, I mean, there were bigger things in the news that year. We'll put it that very way. True. Very true. And Hitachi as well. Uh, Hitachi is also, a, a, you know, a provider of uh, of, uh, of high speed trains to the European market, um, and so you know if the ban on national champions, I mean if the ban on defending the national champions didn't exist, uh, in the interest of tying together the European markets, basically it'd be difficult to have it'd be difficult to have a competitive market space where you have, you know, not just the main European countries train players but also some of the smaller european economies and also yeah. the japanese and the canadians being involved absolutely no i mean i i love that law because it kind of keeps the playing level le playing field level that's what i meant to say yeah exactly exactly um so, so but, yeah so in closing well, uh, because we've reached our 30 minute mark. Oh, okay sorry sorry <laughs> it's okay um so closing i just we need to i mean i love the fact that you have that you found that law that everyone needs to work together because that's hugely important and we do need to get more people back into trains. It is um, we do. a pretty we do. efficient way to work. So on that, Max, I look forward to our next conversation. Okay. I look forward to all of the knowledge you bring because you're spectacular with what you do. Thank and you. Um, 
yeah, I, you're a pleasure. You, you will always have been a pleasure to talk to. So um, your knowledge is immense. I'm not going to lie. All right. And, well, thanks for having me. I oh, appreciate that. Anytime. So on that, guys, thank you so much. We will see you next time. Have a great day.